Hey, Mark, just waiting for Lou. You got it. <clears throat> How's the parade? I watched it from my third floor window. Didn't go near it. <laughs> All right, Lou said he's going to play some areas. Go, Lou. <laughs> Go, Lou. Thank you. Well, me well, this is the Music Relish Podcast. Yes, my, it is. My name is Perry Bolshevik. And, um, <laughs> we have, uh, who do we have here? Um, my name is Lou Mussolini. And who else do we have? Uh, you got Schmitty. Schmitty here Schmitty. on Pearl River. Actually, what's your real name, Mr. Mr. Perry? My real name is my real name is Perry. Yes. My real name is Lou Calicchio. <laughs> my name is Mark Smith, and that is really my name. Hey, hey Mark. Yeah. Oh, Danny boy, <laughs> the pipes, the pipes are calling. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. <laughs> How was the parade? To you. Uh, I watched it from my third floor music room because I have a wonderful view of downtown Pearl River and it looked great for my room. I didn't dare go near it. Um, a lot of, I, I drink, but a lot of weird drinking <laughs> going on. You know what I mean? Oh, hey, man. <laughs> sat you, on my like porch. Sniper up there. Yeah, I sat on my porch, didn't touch alcohol. <laughs> they wanted to be the only sober person in town. It was fun. Now I'm making nice. up for it. <laughs> It so, Lou, well. where are we going tonight? Uh, <laughs> I, I think that this, well, <clears throat> to preface, you know, I, I've been lost in space for two months, as we know, as far as Internet technology. So to all our listeners in Dubai and, uh, and Pakistan and wherever else we got, um, <laughs> it, it's been wonky to say the least, but I'm hooked up in Internet. I live in the country. So the three of us, Mark, Perry and I are all together now. And you guys sound really loud and clear for the first time. Since I don't remember when, even in Barnesville, I, I didn't get such a strong signal. So I'm sitting in the room with, with all, the, all the wires. So well, I'll, I'll have to tell you, you're coming in five by five, Lou. Yeah, <laughs> it's great to be back. <clears throat> so I, I guess we're winging it, uh, Perry. You've mentioned that uh, um, you've read some books, you've read some magazines. Like I'm, I'm thinking, like like Cream Magazine, Rolling Old Rolling Stones, or Old Musician um, Magazines, well, whatever. Got- I've got one right here. It's a, it's an old Rolling Stone from uh, I don't know how many years ago, 2014, and there was just one little quick blurb that I found interesting. Um, Glenn Johns wrote a book, and it's called Sound Man. Mm. Um, I haven't read it, but it's one of those I would like to read anyway. Yeah, he has a few paragraphs here, and one of them, which is something I didn't know about, it says. This is what Glenn Johns claims, that Dylan wanted to make a record with the Beatles and the Stones. In late 1969, Bob Dylan asked Glenn Johns to see if the Beatles and the Stones wanted to make a collaborative album with him. I had figured out, Johns says, 
we would pull all the best material from Mick, Keith, Paul, and John, Bob, and George, and select the best rhythm sections from the two bands to suit whichever song we were cutting. Sadly, McCartney and Jagger both flatly declined. <laughs> yeah. Not surprisingly, maybe. Yeah, that was just a little blurb I wanted to throw out there. I found that quite interesting. Wow. I, I could picture what, what a clash of egos. How could that possibly work at that, at that period? You know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and they both admired Dylan to no end, obviously, right? Sure, sure. I, I always had the feeling Paul was probably the least closest to Dylan of the Beatles. You know, I yeah. would think you're probably right. Mm-hmm. Uh, George, George, I mean, George obviously is dropping Wilburys, and John admired him, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, the Beatles. I, I just watched the uh, Martin Scorsese, George Harrison Living in the Material World uh, documentary. <clears throat> he, was the, he was the coolest Beatle by far, but, you know. Yes. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. No, no wonder he was kind of, he had a, like, Perry, we were talking yesterday that, you know, of all the Beatles, McCartney is the only one that didn't have, like, Keltner, Klaus Bormann, Ringo. Oh, actually, Paul did play with Ringo um, at some points. Well, yeah, at one point there was, there was a little bit of that, yeah. Yeah. And one other thing by Glenn Johns here, he said he's glad the Eagles fired him. <laughs> After Johns produced the band's first two records, the Eagles decided they wanted to a harder rock sound and fired Johns while making 1974's On the Border. There's no way, John says, there's no way I could have stayed involved with what followed, writes John. Fairly heavy substance abuse and hundreds of hours in the studio with a band being at each other's throats. <laughs> Disappearing up their own arses, he says. Wow. Disappearing up their own arses? Yeah. Wow. Well, hey, three more minutes till I kick your ass, pal. <laughs> so, that, so that's a, a Glenn John's book called Sound Man. Wow. I'm, I'm going to read that. Uh, picking that up. Yeah, man. That, that sounds good. Well, you know, he, his background uh, alone. In fact, we talked about Andy Johns, the sound mixer and engineer and producer, is his brother. I mean, I never made the connection, but he's got a story to tell. I mean, the first Eagles records, though, maybe he didn't have the sound. I mean, the first records, you know, there's some big stuff there. But, you know, I, I do like the fact that they want to control and the fact that the band and artists could get control. Whatever the, the results were, though, you know. But maybe Glenn doesn't know that it might be punked like the Eagles one day. <laughs> that's your that's your mantra, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, I have my tagline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. So, so what does anybody else got to throw in here? I do. I was thinking of something. The the term alternative rock. Do you remember when it came about? And maybe in the 90s? Yeah, late 80s, early 90s. And I remember, like, I knew what it was about. But I had people um, would say, like, well, alternative to what? And I would say, you know, I, I had a bunch of things I would say. Do you guys, uh, Mark, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, you know, what, what, you know, what, what, was, what, what made alternative rock alternative, you know? As- you know what, when it came about, like, the music industry was definitely, you had metal on the decline. You had, uh, you know, there was a lot of major major styles of music that was being pushed on us by the record labels. So alternative was just bands that, you know, they didn't, well, some did care about their image, but I always felt it was like just bands that wanted to write songs. They didn't want to feel they had to wear black leather or denim, you know? Yeah. So it it was a reaction in my mind. I told somebody it's a reaction against what I consider was overly 
overly um, contrived commercial music. And a, lo- a lot of the metal that appeared falls in that. Like, I remember reading an interview with Don Dock, and, and all I could say was, you know, this is just for what it is. I can't understand why we haven't gone platinum. Our next record's supposed to go platinum. It was all about, you know, I, I think that was the 80s mentality, too. You know, greed yeah. is good, greed works. And, you know, it, it was about the business and making the money and probably getting out of it as fast as you can, which may not be a bad idea in the long run. But, yeah. you know, to me, to me, alternative rock was something where it wasn't so much necessarily image based but and you didn't have to be a virtuoso musician you could be a good a really good musician but you didn't have to be this cream of the crop gunslinger guitar shredder that came out of a cheese we ever saw can you know <laughs> yeah agreed put, I, it your, put it on your salad yeah yeah the 80s was like the 80s really is the reason why i kind of i don't like playing with bands and i'm sure it's a lot different now <laughs> i just remember the 80s if you wanted to play with someone it was how good are you you had to you had to show how good you were do you sound like Ingve Malmsteen and no <laughs> I don't I'm sorry right hey, and Mark try being in a band with Perry oh I'm so insipid <laughs> you know I have to tell you guys you know since I've been living here you know for our for our listeners, you know, we're we're in New York, New Jersey, and North Carolina. So I'm from the Northeast, but I, I I miss the I miss, miss that contact. You know, we used to get together every Sunday, every Sunday afternoon, jams at the, at the garage. Mark, you were never there because I didn't know you. But right. uh, one of the highlights of my living here was when you two came down to visit me, and we recorded Ashtray Skyline, Asheville Skyline. <laughs> uh, yeah, Asheville Skyline, an instrumental yeah. song. Yep. So now we also had a song called Ashtray Skyline. We, you and I wrote that one, yes. Skyline. Yep. <laughs> well, Lou, uh, from that lost weekend when we came down, it was it was great. I had a great time. But I do have a picture on my phone of you attempting to assault Perry on a long walk in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> With a knife in my hand. With a knife yeah. in my hand. Uh, <laughs> and I just, uh, I just came across uh, completely opposite. I came across a picture of Lou. In a field of sunflowers. <laughs> what were you on? <laughs> I'm looking at it, I, Lou. I am looking at it right now. Oh, that's funny. Oh, I my kid God. you not. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is, uh, well, we're using the phones now, so I'll snap a picture of it later and send it to okay. you. But it's you standing in a little field of sunflowers, or in in bar in Barnardsville, North Carolina. It's always sunny in Barnardsville. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But so, now, now I have moved. Now I've moved that you know, south, you know, more south to Asheville now. So uh, we know I'm I'm in Swannanoa, and that's it. But um, it's beautiful here. It's a beautiful place. Yeah. Uh, the mountain, the mountains. You know, you guys know it. Yeah. I love it down there. It's a great yeah. spe- special area. Yeah, very, it's, very good. It's, very, it, it's become very popular now. So um, you know, and there's things that they don't print in Travel and Leisure magazine about living here. But you know, there's the good, the bad, and the ugly. But but we're about music, I think, right? So, so Lou, you, you and Mark have mentioned to me like in the last week or so about Phil Collins. Yeah. Just I, came book. Little, I came across a little thing on, a, on my desktop here about how uh, the musician lost the feeling in his fingers following surgery and can only play drums for the band as he did previously if the sticks were taped to his hands. <laughs> wow. Uh, that was a painful part of his book. It was really... And he had just come off at the age of, I think, 55, becoming a raging alcoholic to where if the, 
it's basically said it was if the alcohol level dropped below a certain amount, he would go into shock. This wow. guy at 55 started drinking. I really, the book was, his autobiography is very good. Highly advised to read because if you, most of us were part of that, I hate Phil Collins crowd, you know, but he's just a real guy, you know? And um, yeah, so he pulled through all that and it was basically mistakes he made when he was in Genesis, the last tour. He used a lot of, uh, they injected a lot of steroids into him because he had vocal problems. So he injects wow. steroids. He had foot problem, injects steroids. So he blames a lot of that stuff later on. It, it makes your bones brittle. So yeah, the whole numbness was due to a spinal problem. It, it's just, he went from almost dying in a Swiss hospital of alcohol poisoning to that. I mean, it's just amazing. And now I wish I had seen Genesis on the last tour because he deserves a tour after all that. <laughs> Well, yeah. there's a little blurb here. It says in the autobiography, I suppose, is the, the book you're talking about. In his 2016 autobiography, he revealed he'd struggled with alcohol abuse after his retirement. The yeah. following year, he stated he was type 2 diabetic and received treatment in a hyperbaric chamber after, after a diabetic ab abscess developed in his foot and became infected. Collins also suffers from a condition called foot drop after the operation, leaving him needing a stick to help him walk. But, you know, still there, he's still doing it. He's sitting in a chair, and I'm sure the fans just love him. Uh, when he when they kicked out, um, oh, Lou, help me. Who was the drummer that played with Genesis? Chester Thompson. Chester Thompson, yeah. When he, I love Chester Thompson, so when I first heard, like, Phil didn't invite Chester Thompson to play. I went, you dick. Like, I was mad. But after reading the book and finding out how much he loves his kids and how he felt bad because he has kids from all his wives and he felt like, all right, I ignored these kids for the new wife with the new kids. No wonder he got his son to play. You know, and it, it, now yeah. I understand it all. Yeah. I, I'm expecting that to be me in 10 years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Drop foot <laughs> Lou. <laughs> I'm just not going to give a shit anymore. Like, Louie, you play. <laughs> get on it! I'll be all I'll be like old and stuff. Get on the friggin' drums, <laughs> you little wanker! Get on the drums! Your guy's too drunk to play. <laughs> well, I'll tell you another thing: the book cleared up the lyrics to "In the Air Tonight." He really clears it up good. It's just about his first wife. You yeah, know, what he was going through. It, it, there were all these rumors for years about oh, Phil witnessed someone drowning in a pool, <laughs> and you know, all brother. that stuff. <laughs> and when I, heard, was... I heard it was phil's brother I mean, his, his younger brother drowned and the guy watched him because he wouldn't jump in the water it was just i saw that i was that maybe on jimmy kimler or, or tonight or whatever <laughs> and he basically said he goes he goes it's all bullshit you know? <laughs> what's funny about that is he doesn't have a younger brother <laughs> <laughs> not anymore yeah <laughs> but but anyway i find it encouraging the fact that you know they have some pictures here of him sitting in a chair but you know what? He's playing tambourine. He looks, uh, you know, they're all they're all apparently the same age. They're all seventy one years old. Tony Banks, Mike Rutherford, and Phil. And you yeah. know what? Yeah. He seems to be having a good time, and I'm sure everyone there had a good time too. He's raising his arms in the air, holding the mic towards the crowd. You know, I guess they're singing along with some of these huge hits. Yeah, uh, I, I think he he could be in a better chair. They look like they got that chair at like uh, Staples or something. <laughs> you know, so come on yeah. i'm looking at it here that is probably Collins, quite comfortable yeah but it might be the right height that he needs to keep the you know to keep the pain away from his back or something yeah yeah yeah, oh. yeah. 
Well, if you, if you want to laugh, just track down on YouTube. There is a video of Phil singing a song and his son plays the piano and he has a little 10 minute talk about his son. It's hilarious. I mean, it's really good. Uh, though. Too. He's still got the humor, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, I heard him, uh, they, I saw a video of them playing one of my favorite and one of the weirdest Genesis songs of all time, Mama. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that song is so dark. Perry, have you ever heard it? No, but I, I did see it listed here as one of their hits, and I can't <laughs> say I've ever heard it that I'm, I'm aware I of. That was a hit. Yeah, well, was it a hit? Uh, yeah, and Perry, remember the song yeah. where Phil Collins just went, ah-ha-ha. Oh. <laughs> that song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the song, and he he took it from a rap song, right, Lou? I, I forget oh, the I name of the song. Really? Wow. Yeah, it's it's this is a rap song from the eighties where the guy goes, <laughs> so he just channeled that. The guy channels what he hears. Yeah, I, I think that was I think that was Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> and and Lou, I came across another magazine just called. It's a UK magazine. It's called Rock. And uh, I'm not sure what it costs in the UK. But anyway, there's a little blurb here about another drummer. Phil Rudd. Yeah, ACDC. It says, mm -hmm. and it, this is from a few years. This is from like four or five years ago. This, but anyway, I just thought it was cool. Estranged ACDC drummer Phil Rudd, who admits charges of threatening to kill someone <laughs> and possessing <laughs> cannabis and methamphetamine. Wow says he had no recent interaction with the bandmates he says i wrote them a letter to get in contact with angus whose place in the band currently been taken by chris slade he says i'm very disappointed but that's life uh, chris slade has stepped in before i believe um when he was when he initially left the band well apparently i mean from what i read he actually was trying to contract someone to murder somebody you know whether that was fueled by the paranoia of methamphetamine, I don't know. But um, I'll say this about his, as far as ACDC goes, he's the drummer for that band. I'm sorry. He yeah. The drum, he's the drummer. I'm, I'm, Mark, I, I've said before, don't get rid of your drummer like that. Don't do Right. <laughs> <laughs> really? Is he? Is he that, mess you up. He's that solid, huh? Yes. It, 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 he's very basic, but the guy's got a groove. It's that feel. It's a hi-hat bass drum. And the snare, that's, that's all the guy really needs. It's a pretty amazing and, and a symbol. Um, but what he does is mostly that, that, that what, what I just described there, you know. Not even on the ride symbol so much I've heard. You know, it's just hi-hat, kick, snare, and, and a crash or two. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to be said for that, that minimalist thing. And the fact that those songs feel great. They have a great feel to them. It's a groove. The guy's got a groove. Whether he's a madman or not, a madman drummer, there's a bunch of them out there. Well, I guess in honor of you being back, Lou, and sounding loud and clear, five by Good. five, I guess I've been talking about drummers. Why not? So I have one more. There's another magazine from the UK. I think these magazines were given to me by our friend Tom Griffin. And there's a little, uh, little blurb here about Charlie Watts, hmm. interviewing Charlie Watts. And uh, the interviewer says, Ginger Baker praised your playing in these pages a few months ago and was particularly complimentary about your swing. Ooh. Yeah. Um, th th that's a cool thing. You know, if someone tells a drummer they have a swing or a groove, that, that's all you really need to hear. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll tell you what Charlie had said in response to that. He says, Ginger 
is the best drummer to come up through this era. I mm-hmm. first saw him playing in jazz groups with Jack Bruce. He's got it all. I mean, he's a white African. Wow. Ginger was and- influenced by another guy I love, Phil Seaman. Yeah. Yep. Um, Ginger, like Clapton said, Ginger was a fully formed musician. The guy was his own man. He was his own drummer. Um, and like I, I told you, I, I've said a million times, he was my idol. If I could play like him, you know. Uh, yeah, that's something. It's something to aspire to. And he was, you know, some people say like, well, for instance, Bruce Springsteen, when he interviewed, when he was put on an ad for a drummer to replace Vinny Lopez, he, it said no junior ginger bakers. So along came Max Weinberg and he was, he's perfect. But Ginger didn't overplay. I, I, he was one guy he played, but he did not overplay, in my opinion. It was integral to the composition of whatever song he was in. Interesting. Yep. Yeah. Pu- pu- public, more... Go ahead. Public no, image. You guys, go ahead. He played Public Image Limited with Johnny Lydon. I mean, that, that says a lot just in and of itself. With, with the music aside, uh, Fela Kuti, I mean, he was ahead of his time. Well, well <clears throat> who was playing with PIL? Ginger Baker. You're kidding me. I shit you not, brother. Wow, I didn't yeah. know that. It's good. You know what? It's good. Yeah, you know, I was Mark. playing with PLI. Is uh, Steve I? He played on one of their albums too. Yeah, he did. That's right, he did. Yeah, that's pretty. Mister Mister Punk Rock, Mister. You know, my God, I to think about that. Think about his his progression, his arc, if you will. You know, um, you know, <laughs> punk, punk rock or whatever to like playing with like Mister Shredder and and the legend, the God of Drums. <laughs> no, I mean, Perry, Perry remember, remember what Ginger Baker said about, uh, as far as swing goes, what he said about John Bonham? Yeah, he couldn't swing a sack of shit. <laughs> ow, ow. Those are fighting words. Well, there's, I mean, but, but, you know, John Bonham was a different type drummer, I suppose, right? He grew, he grew as hell. He could, I, Led Zeppelin didn't swing. They weren't supposed to. That was the, that was the defense and the legitimate one at that. Now, let me ask you this, Lou. Was Ginger Baker a double kick drummer? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Not that he needed it. <laughs> so I have one more thing to add here. Yeah. This very same magazine is called Mojo. And uh, where, where did you find this stuff? Tom, Tom Griffin. Uh, oh, right, right, right. Tom Griffin, a uh, dear friend of mine, gives these to me. And uh, he gets them from the UK. Tell that guy I want to see him. <laughs> and... um you know who Johnny Mars, of course. He was the guitar player in the Smiths. Was that yep. the right? Yeah. Yeah. So Johnny Moore wrote this article about the Who. And he said something I thought was so interesting, his perception of the Who. He says the Who are kind of an upside down band. The drummer and bass player are soloing like mad. <laughs> and the guitar player is holding it all down. Mm, yeah. And I was like, well, that's an interesting point, the, the way yeah. Johnny Moore presents that. that, that that's, that that's, that's so apt. Right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's yeah. like, it's upside down. It, yeah. And Perry, I disagree with you about Kenny Jones and the Who. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> a couple songs, a couple things, but I'm like, no, nah, I can't do it. I can't do it. Well, to me, to me, you know, when, when Keith Moon was, you know, in the Who, they were, they were a rock band. But, you know, Face Dances to me is a pop they're a pop record. Yeah, Athena is a pop song. Um, another Don't tricky day. It's a great pop song. Yeah. Um, you better, you bet. Great pop song. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But I just found it interesting that Johnny Moore says that uh, you know they're upside down. The who you know the the drummer yeah. bass player is soloing. That's, that's true. Well, one fell off the number. Now I have a question for you guys. 
you guys are guitar players. Mark and Perry, what was the favorite guitar you've ever owned? Wow, interesting you say that, Lou, because I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I wanted to mention later on in the show about the instruments that we all own. Oh, cool. Yeah. And um, so, you, what do you mean? The favorite guitar that I ever owned? Have you, is there one guitar, and the many you've owned, because I've seen you go through some guitars. And you have one that stood out, one, one that you just, you know. Like, yeah, probably my current electric guitar. It was a GNL A7. It's nice. 20 Excellent. years old. 20, wow. I remember yeah. you got that. It's it's a Georgian Leo, of course. Uh, you guys mm -hmm. know that. I'm not yep. sure if everyone knows that. It's a George George Fullerton and Leo Fender. That uh, you know, Leo Fender could not use the Fender name anymore, so we started another company, Georgian Leo G and L. And uh, I have in effect a Telecaster. Nice, that's right. Yeah, I haven't seen that guitar in many years. D did you buy that Robbie's music? Um. No. I think I did. Yeah, because did. they they did not sell Fenders; they sold G and L's. Yeah, right. Robbie's Music Barn up on where is it? Seventeen. That, that, that was up on Seventeen. I think Mawa, Mawa, yeah. New Jersey. Unfortunately, it's not there any longer. I know. Yeah, that, that that's where that's my seagull came from. There. I wanted to ask you about that handmade Canadian guitar. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a seagull. It's it's original seagull uh, S six uh, spruce top mahogany laminate back and sides. Um, it was a $325 guitar in 2000. And it was, remember, we were up there one day. They, they sold off brands. Robbie's didn't do the mainstream thing. They had a lot, a lot of used gear. It, it, was a, it was a really cool shop. It really was. Yeah, it um, was an actual it, barn. Mark, have you, ever, have you ever been there? No, you know, it's funny. When that was in, I was going to, um, oh, what's the place in Ridgewood? Damn. Uh, Victor's. Yeah, that, I was a Victor's guy. That's where okay. I went. That's right, yeah. Well, me too. I went there quite a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, Robbie's, you, you can find some, some weird stuff there. I got my, <laughs> I got my Simmons when the Simmons came out with the first, was a hexagon, I, I, I failed geometry, where, where, where the, the hexagon shaped drum pads with the, um, the, the Kevlar bulletproof, uh, countertop drum heads. Um, I remember those, they were red, I think. Yeah, they, they were red. Yes, they were. <laughs> I think that's why I have tendonitis now. Those things were, that would hurt your elbows. You get these shock things up to your elbows because of those things didn't give, but um, but anyway, Robbie. So going back, you know, I, I saw this acoustic guitar. It looked it would look handsome to me. It was a good looking guitar, so I pulled it down. I said, "This has a really nice even tone. It played so nice." And I don't have guitar hands, um, so it, it felt nice in, in, in my drummer hands. And uh, so here's what happened. I, I admired it, Perry. That next day you go, I'll, I bought that guitar for you. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I paid you back, but you, you, you know, I, you knew I liked that guitar. And this is the thing about our friend Perry. He's a very generous man. And, uh, you mean and I spotted you the money for that guitar. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I remember it was around Thanksgiving in November. You called me up at work. I was working at the bottle thing in Hillsdale. You said, I'm going to buy that guitar for you. I said, I'll pay you back, man. <laughs> wow. 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 Were those the salad days, I guess? <laughs> I, I guess they were. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Wait, wait a second, guys. This reminds yeah. me of that scene in Purple Rain when Prince is looking at that guitar he wants in this window and Apollonia says, I'll buy it for you. Now, Perry, Lou, what happened after you? Oh, I don't want to know. <laughs> 
I don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the movie. I don't know. <laughs> oh, you don't see the movie and you'll be like, holy shit. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, you God. know, I mean, Lou, I had the money. You didn't. So, and I, you know, so, and look, look what it became. I mean, I've played that guitar. I don't know how old it is now. 20 something years old. Uh, uh, 22, uh, well, I, yeah, 22, 22 years old now. Yeah. It sounds better every year, year after year. It's just aging. So yeah. Much. And the fact that those guitars were, you know, it's a, they're the uh, offshoot, is it Godin or Godin? It's the French-Canadian. I mean, they were handmade in, in Quebec, Quebec. Mm -hmm. um, but there was something where I, I happened to get in on the early stages of that guitar. And that, that guitar probably goes for about $600, $700 now. So I, but it's, and like I said, it still sounds great. You know, it's not, a big, it's not a big sounding guitar, but it records really nicely. And I've written a million songs on it. And uh, you well, played it. There's the key. There's the key is look what, look what has happened because you've owned that guitar. Yeah. And, yeah. And, like, and like we discussed, if you have an instrument, instruments are made to be played. Otherwise, what's the point of making something that was made to be played and doesn't, doesn't happen, you know? Yeah. So what about your guitars, Mark? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, uh, Lou, when you played those Simmons drums, did you wear a white sports coat? And <laughs> I, I, I had some parachute pants on. I had some capizio shoes on. <laughs> I had, I had yeah. some <laughs> Great. Ladies and gentlemen, Lou Caliccio. Um, so I still, my favorite guitar, I'm, I'm actually very simple. I got a few guitars, but when when I graduated high school and I got my job at Community Life in Westwood, remember that paper? And I saved up and I went and I bought um, a Fender Strat. It was the first year they started making them back in the USA. So I really got a steal. I got an American-made Fender for, I believe it was $700, which like a couple of years later, they started going up in price. And I went to Victor's. And what I'll always remember about Victor's is, they evidently had a huge amount of fenders in their basement and every guitar sounds different. So here's this 18 year old kid and they let me sit there for three hours playing guitars. And I settled on this cream colored Strat and I got cream colored cause that's what Richie Blackmore played. Yeah. And I still play it. It's still my favorite guitar, but I gotta tell you, I've been a fender man. I'm 52 now and I am actually going to buy a Gibson Les Paul tribute because I got it. Nice. And John Scaffa told me, you got to expand, Mark. You got to move away and get something else. So I'm going to get the, the, the Gibson. But of all my guitars, my Fender Strat. It's a 1987. I love it. And uh, best, best, my best friend. What kind nice. of is on that guitar? Huh? What kind of a neck? Maple? Um, maple. Maple. Rosewood? Maple. And, um, you know, I, I, I'm not crazy about the Ebony's, but I'm thinking of my Trime again. Back in the day, I was like, ooh, I don't like them. But, uh you know, I, I could. I'm probably going to get another Strat soon. So I have to ask you about the, the the neck because I had a mid '70s Stratocaster. Lou had seen it. It was a black Stratocaster. Yeah, and I only used it as a backup back then. But it had a maple neck, so there was no fretboard on it. It was just a maple neck with frets in it. Is that mm. what you have? Yeah, yeah, that's what I got. Right, There's and um, I prefer that glued onto it. Yeah, and I prefer that. I like it. And it's amazing is I've never had the thing seriously worked on. I mean, you took it in 1987. The thing still stays in tune. Um, I used to do my little Richie Blackmore moves on it where I, you know, twirl the guitar around, whatever. And, you know, I think it survived, you know, <laughs> it's a great guitar, but that's, I love it. And uh, that and my Martin acoustic, those two, everything else, you know, occasionally I pull them out, but those are my two guitars. Nice.
And well, Mark, Mark, I have a question. Was that the that strat? Was that what you played when you came down and recorded with me here and Perry? I think I brought it. If I brought my own electric, that was it. But I don't think I brought it. I think I ended up using a guitar you had around the house. Really? Yeah. My, yeah. my, my Telecaster. I think what happened maybe was I brought my acoustic, but I could be wrong. Me and Perry rented a car, right, Perry? So maybe we had the room and I brought both down. Uh, yeah. I, I think, well, there was, that's what I wanted to mention is there one time I went down, I took the, uh, the Carolinian down to see Lou. You brought my acoustic. Good. And you lent me your Martin guitar. Yep. To take down there. So I took it on the train and I didn't let it out of my sight, of course. I still got the ticket or whatever you put on the handle. I still got it there because it makes it look makes me feel like I'm a touring musician. Like you're on the <laughs> so and I went by that went down by Lou, and we, I did something. Lou, you remember this was called the refried sessions. Oh yeah, of course. And it was myself, of course, Lou Calicchio, and it was uh, Sotmitter playing bass. Yeah. And, um, and it was a it was a nice session. I remember it. Unfortunately, it was monsoon season down there, so it rained all the time. It's not, down it's there not, it's not the Philippines, Barry. <laughs> it was monsoon season, as I was concerned. <laughs> but Mark, you did lend me that uh, that guitar, and you're the only one. I, I mean, you're the only no. person I would ever trust with a guitar. So, <laughs> so Lou, I understand you have a like semi hollow guitar now that you bought. Uh, yeah, it's not my favorite guitar, um, but what I did was, um, as a single parent, um, no, actually, I don't think my, well, anyway, with my first COVID relief check, I used some of it because I was, uh, was going to take a month off from work because my boss was worried about me being of a certain age and having asthma and figuring those, those early stages of COVID, like I, I was thinking I could die, you know, um, so he goes, I'm going to lay you off for a month, I'll bring you back in May. Um, just take a month off and just, you know, don't go anywhere. So in the, in the 10 days I was losing my mind, not being at work or doing anything else, I bought a Gretsch. Oh, my God. The, the, the serial number, I forget the model, said GTS-22 or something. It's an it's Indonesian-made semi-hollow body um, to pick up. It's got more modern pickups in it. But it's something where I, I wanted a, a semi-hollow body guitar, but I'm not going to spend $3,000 on it, you know. But it, for 500 bucks, it's a really nice guitar. That's what I played on a little intro. And oh, that, yeah. that's what I heard, really. Yeah, the, the, it, it was the Gretsch through a um in my simulator. It's a Vox AC30. It's it's a Beetle amp. So I played that through a Beetle amp with some delay and reverb on it, and I, I thought it had a nice sound. Um, it, it's quite in, good. I, I tuned the guitar to a D, so it's a D tuning, uh, Vestapol tuning. So it has. A, I, I kind of like that. I've been messing around with that kind of kind of stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It but, was, but, uh, yeah, but my Ah, uh, cool. My favorite guitar. Me down. Oh, good, good, because I think you need that. <laughs> um, my favorite guitar is a guitar I bought from Perry in 1987 or 8. And I, I bought it for, I think, 300 bucks. Man, you can rent an apartment wait, for wait. 300 bucks in 1987. Uh, yeah, yeah, my, <laughs> you're right. My first apartment I ever had, the rent was $300 a month. Me too, me too, yeah. <laughs> Um, and you could also go out and party and spend most of your money going out to a bar and doing other things on the weekend and still make your rent. But, you know, welcome to America. And um, whenever I came down to see you, Lou, I played that. That Telecaster still sounds darn good. Yeah. So anyway, so I, I bought it from you in 87. 
I didn't play. I knew a few guitar chords because my brother Anthony plays. And um, but I noticed it was a Japanese-made Telecaster that you bought. I don't know where did you buy it. You know, I don't even remember where I got it from. Did you buy it from somebody or did you buy it from a shop? No, I think I got it from uh from a, a shop, a music shop. Yeah, could okay. have been Sam Ash, maybe. Okay, we, 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 it was a good pick because um you know guitarists who play this when I let someone else play they're like this guitar is a great neck, and to me it's perfect. I I I, I didn't like it at first. When I first started playing it, it sounded too brittle and needling, which is the, which was Telecaster supposed to sound like. You know, but to me, I, I was expecting a different sound. But it took me years to get used to it. But now that is my favorite guitar, and I had the, uh, the pickup worked on. You know, I put a new pickguard on it. It's got some scars on it, but um, that guitar is, has been played a lot. Wow. Uh, since 87. And I, I plugged it in the other day, and it, it's got this nasty. Tom Griffin described it as bratty. It's just, it's just a little punk-ass guitar, you know? Um, I've had on a couple yeah. of uh, songs that I've recorded at your house, and it does sound bratty. Yeah, yeah, it does. It, it's snotty, you know. It's, yeah, <laughs> it, it's you, you, can it, you can do the twang, but that thing can snarl if you wanted to. It's a, uh, it's such a the, the Telecast is such a pure guitar. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Can I tell you about my? Uh, I I bought an acoustic guitar years ago, and you 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 know what it is, Lou, and Mark knows. It's a yeah. 1967 Guild F20. It's one of the smallest models they ever made. Doesn't record well. It's not a big guitar, but ninety nine percent of all the songs I've ever written were written on that guitar. Yep. Now was Guild was that guitar made in New Jersey? That guitar was from Hoboken, New Jersey. So cool. That's so cool. That is amazing. Yeah. Perry, that guitar is probably worth something. Well, you know, it's to me. It's oh, not sure. like, you know, I, I mean, you and I used to work with a guitar player named John, remember? Yeah. And one he time... Flipped house, he flipped houses with, like, guitars were... He flipped guitars like houses. <laughs> and uh, he, he like said... Like Joe Bonamassa. <laughs> <laughs> he's, and this guy, John Bonjo, Bonjo, we used to call him Bonjo, I think. Yeah. Right? Yep. And... Uh, he said, you got to say, he heard, heard me play it when he goes, you, I lent it, you know, he got, I go check this out. He goes, you got to sell me this guitar, man. You got to sell it to me because it's, you know, it's, it just sounds good. It's a 1967. They don't make guitars like that anymore. Yeah. Wow. You know, our, our friend Scott Minner in uh, North in, uh, in Tennessee, his father was a guitar player and he passed away in the last year and he left him his, his Stratocaster he said it was a 57, but the serial number indicates it's a 61. And I saw, wow. a, picture, I saw a picture of it. It's, it's nice. It's a classic. It was a tobacco sunburst. I it's think. a surf strat. Yeah, yeah. But he, he, he was a country player. Well, it's unfortunate. You don't want to get a guitar that way. I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Oh, sure. At um, least his, uh, you know, his uh, dad can uh, rest easy knowing that the guitar is in good hands and, uh, yeah, and it's going to be well used and played, and and it's going to be loved. And yeah. a talented guy, by the way, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, no, the the Telecaster, the the Japanese Telecaster, I didn't know, is actually got some value because that period of time where they made them, they made them really well. They made they, they you know they knew the technology. So these guitars, I mean, my Telecaster was worth about fourteen hundred. You're kidding? Hmm. No, no. Does it actually say somewhere on the guitar made in Japan? Oh, it says on, on the back of the neck where, where the neck meets the body. Um, it says uh, made in Japan. Wow. Yeah. 
No, they're just promoting the Deep Purple album. They they weren't really wasn't made, <laughs> really <laughs> made in Taiwan. <laughs> now, so now, more, uh, other yeah. than your Stratocaster and your acoustic guitar, what else did, did you have? An ES three thirty five, like a Chuck Berry guitar? Oh, don't! That's a heartbreak. Listen, that oh, <laughs> I but my uncle um, lent me that guitar, so I had it for a few years, and you know I'm I know I'm going to see it again maybe at some point, but that thing was sweet. It needs to be fixed up. But to me, the thing was so like, he got it in the sixties and when he lived in Florida and um, it needed work. So Perry, you saw it, it wasn't in the best condition, but it played. The thing is those three thirty fives, you know, if it's not a Telecaster, I mean, sorry, if it's not a Stratocaster, that three thirty five is like butter to me. It's like the Chardonnay guitars. Wow. And I was scared. He wanted me to get it fixed up. And I honestly couldn't find anyone I trusted enough. So I, after about four years, I said, George, <laughs> my uncle, I said, I don't know who can fix this thing up. And I probably screwed that whole thing up because the deal was I was going to fix it up and we would share it back and forth. Um, that guitar was just, I, I would consider just buying a new 335. I know it won't sound the same, but that was such a sweet sounding guitar. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. It won't sound the same and it'll cost you two months rent. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's, it's insane now. I mean, if you go to a music, store, a music store, guitar center, anywhere, you, you look at like a lot of offenders and it gives them to like a Les Paul. It's like, that's how much it's going to cost you right off the, right off the little hanging rack there, you know? Well, you know, 25, it's funny. 2500 to $3,000 maybe. Yeah. Well, it's funny because. I wanted to get a Gibson. Like you said, John told me, you got to get a Gibson. And I'm looking at the new Les Pauls. I know they play great and everything, but it's like, wow. So I looked at the Les Paul uh, tribute, which is what Leslie West played. And basically it's, it's a Les Paul without all the fancy trimmings. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually, that's what I'm going to get. It costs you a cool. thousand bucks, you know? And it's like, I just, hey, I man. need to get a humbucker sound, but um, it, it's, it's crazy. Like I, like everything else, things yeah. go up in place, but you hear about, in the 70s, people getting that classic Stratocaster for 300 bucks. Well, the investors found out about that. That's what happened. So guitars are yeah. out of control. <laughs> yeah, true. And the, you know, the fact that you know, whatever you're, you know, it's it's worth it. You you, you want the guitar? It's going to be a great guitar. And that's like you said, that's what it. What that's what you have to do. I need. An, yeah. I would like to get another crash cymbal. I mean, it's not that you can't do it. It's just like it just seems like you know maybe because because the last time I bought drum gear was quite a few you know acoustic drum gear was quite a few years ago and 20 years later you're like a crash symbol is like 500 bucks 600 bucks. I know. You know? it's amazing I'm like, I'm, maybe i'm lost in space lost in time but even still i'm like really how much did it cost them to make this you know it's what's the markup on this you know covid covid shortage yeah <laughs> disaster economics <laughs> yeah but you know what i gotta tell you i'm lucky in that i got a high school friend of mine and he works for Park Ridge. He works for the um, DPW. And then on the weekends, he works in Woodcliffe Lake Lou, and he works at the um, the, the garbage drop off where people drop off their trash. Yeah. And um, he'll call me every month or so and say, "Guy just threw a guitar. Like I rescued it. Like he rescues guitars. People just like they they bought a guitar for their son, and uh, he didn't play it, so they throw it out. So I've got a bunch of guitars. Like I got an Epiphone copy of a Les Paul." It's really cool. Like I don't, I can't say no to a guitar. So I got a lot of these guitars. I got to fix them up and uh, cool. see if they work. I mean, they're not the best guitars in the world, but can you just imagine? I don't care if it's a cheap guitar. Throwing a guitar in the trash to me is like throwing a 
in the woods and driving away. It's like, yeah. my God. You, know? <laughs> you can also feel like you could be good, like electronics and they good pickups and then make something out of it. There yeah. was a, uh, there was a Luthier in Westwood. It was a Tony Uzio. Perry, do you remember those guitars? We had, we had two of these hollow shells of these like, custom made guitars that some local Luthier in New Jersey in Bergen County made. And I think it was Tony Uzio. I still have one on my wall. <laughs> you don't really? I absolutely do. That yep. is hysterical. That is amazing. That's great. <laughs> and it could be, and and it's already it's already routed out for pickup. Yeah, and, and, and the, the switches and knobs, and it looks like the, it actually had them at one point, and they were removed. Oh, okay. So if I had money, I could actually get this thing. <laughs> you just retired, man. Now, <laughs> does it does it have that tubing? Was there like some weird tube on the side of that, like a metal tube on that mm -hmm. one? No. This okay. Is, it, it's 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 it looks like maple. It's got a uh, like a rosewood fingerboard, and it has yeah. it actually has tuners on the headstock. In other words, it was a functioning guitar at one point, yeah. and all the it was all removed. The, the pickups were removed, and the uh, the pots were removed, and uh, mm -hmm. but it, it, it was a functioning guitar. I'll send you yeah. a picture of it. I'll send you guys a picture. Or, yeah. or or maybe it was a guitar that was never finished. No, you could see that it actually had a pickguard on it and oh, okay. pickups on it, and they they were all removed. So somehow I got this, and uh, I got this through your family, Lou. Yeah, uh, that that was, that was through um, <clears throat> my sister's uh, boyfriend. Like yeah, some salvage yeah. work and finding them, and you never know what you come across. The instruments that have come our way, you know. Remember the uh, it was a Wurlitzer church organ that I you got me through uh, the Zion Lutheran school that we mentioned here uh, both Mark Smith and my brother Anthony having gone to school there and uh, but that Wurlitzer organ we hold that up I, I, I think it was three flights to get into the apartment another one to get up to the stairs when I lived in Westwood on Mountain Avenue I remember that that, <laughs> that, was, that, that was, was insane <laughs> it was like 500 pounds it was amazing we got it, but up. it was I don't know how we did that, that. Hey, you know, I actually wrote a couple songs on that too. And, uh, cool. I, I used to go down in the music room, you know, because I was the custodian at the school, you know. So the section, uh, yeah. And uh, and one time I was down there and I was just writing a song, you know, and uh, it was a song called "Every Little Thing." Yeah. With uh, Tom Griffin, and I recorded it. I wrote the song on this Wurlitzer organ. And the, the principal came down and told me, stop doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Music is world. not allowed here. <laughs> and she and was Mark, such a nice you know lady. who that person is. Yes, know. I do. <laughs> she, she was so nice. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Perry. When hey. I took him help you, she looked at me like I was dirt. Oh, interesting thing. <laughs> There's another interesting thing. You, you used to help me over the summer, and Mark used to help me over the summer. Yeah, right. Penny, right. you took care of us. We, you know, I was out of work. I needed money. You were helping me. I, <laughs> I paid you out of pocket. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I remember you and I, Perry, um, one of the last times I did it. Uh, that's right. I was out of work at the time, and that's um, that was like 2004. And you and I did snow removal. It was minus 25 wind chills. It was horrible. I remember. Was, yeah. Oh, my God. It, I remember just, I was where I had more tech gear than you had, I think, because I'm, a, I'm a, a hiker and camper and stuff. But I was, I was like, after like three hours, I'm like, this is bad. This is, this is bad, you know. <laughs> yep. uh, the things you do, the things you do, you know, you get by. We're tough. So I came across a couple of books, and I think one of them is yours, Lou. I want I, it back. I have This Wheel's on Fire. Yeah. 
film and the story of the band. Yep. Right. I have time between uh, my life as a bird. Chris Hillman. Great book. You read that, right? Yeah, I have it. Mark, have you read it yet? No, I have not. Okay, good. Now, I'm finished with it. I'm going to send it to you. Okay. And I also have Pete Townsend, Who I Am. Love that book. You read it? Yeah, I did. I Lou, have it. you read it? I have not. Oh, good. I'm going to send it down to you. Love to, I'd love to read it. And I'm also, I'm looking at a book right now. I'm, uh, I'll send it down to one of you guys. It's called After Abbey Road, The Solo Hits of the Beatles. Hmm. And it's got like who played on what. It's a great little thing. Wow, that so, sounds good. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to like point out a couple of little songs here. There was a, there's a song I'm not very familiar with. It's called "Poor Little Girl." It was written by George Harrison in 1989. So I, and it was on, the album was called "The Best of Dark Horse." So. Okay. So I'm not sure about the song. I may have heard it once, you know, once or twice. But anyway, it's got George Harrison on vocals, guitars, and banjo. Uh, this could have been like the Traveling uh, Wilburys era in 1989. Jeff Lynne played bass, keyboards, and backing vocal. Richard Tandy played piano. Of course, you all know Ray Cooper play, playing percussion. The drummer on this track was Ian Pace. Wow. Yeah. And Jim and that, Horton played the saxophones. I, I, the name Richard Tandy sounds familiar. He was the uh, keyboardist in Electric Light Orchestra with Jeff Lynn. Yeah, okay. Really? That, that's what it was. Okay. Wow. Great tidbit. That, nice, Mark. Nice one. Wow. Well, the, uh, I love Electric Light Orchestra. <laughs> me, me too. Me too. So I, I have I, another I, little I love one. Them. <laughs> no, you. I have a little one here. It's called, well, you know the song. Everyone knows the song. It's a great song called Photograph by Ringo Starr. Yeah. And um, it was written by Richard Starkey and George Harrison. <laughs> um, Ringo plays vocals. Uh, Ringo sang and played drums. George Harrison played 12-string guitar, backing vocals. Someone Lou mentioned to me, Vinnie Poncia. <laughs> now this this he's a songwriter i thought you mentioned him to me and i'll tell you i I, I did yeah vinnie poncia yeah he he was a frequent collaborator with ringo and anyway on this song photograph he played acoustic guitar and sang backing vocals jimmy calvert played acoustic guitar nicky hopkins played piano klaus vorman of course on bass nice and my favorite drummer, Jim Keltner on drums. Wow. Hmm. And Bobby yeah. Keys on saxophone. And on backing, on percussion were, they're called the Van Eaton brothers. Lon Van Eaton and Derek Van Eaton. And apparently they're uh, quite famous. And I've never heard of them. And one other one, this this huge, huge song by George Harrison, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth. Yeah. Is that not a great song? Yeah, absolutely. What I found now, great is... Apparently, we, 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 these were all recorded at Abbey Road? No. This no, no. book is called After Abbey After, Road. Okay. The solo okay. hits of the Beatles. Gotcha, gotcha. Now, so, you, you know, uh, Scott Miller brought up Vinnie Poncia the other day. He co-wrote with Kiss. He's got something to do with Kiss also. Wow. Yeah. 
Yeah, apparently he is. He made Kiss sound good. He is very famous. A lot of people made Kiss sound good. <laughs> <laughs> Anton Fig played a lot of drums, apparently. <laughs> so this song, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth, it's a huge song. And I mean huge because it just sounds so big, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's five people playing on it. Just five wow. people. It, it, it is Jim Keltner? It is George Harrison on guitar, slide guitar and vocal. Nikki Hopkins on piano. Yep. Lou, Gary Wright on organ. Wow, Dreamweaver. Yeah. Nice. Klaus Foreman on bass and Jim Keltner on drums. The, the, the drums are very unusual. If you listen to the bass drum work on that song, it's all off time. It's not a straight ahead beat. It's very, it's very syncopated. Yes. And um, yeah. it, as you know, because you've seen, you've seen on video Jim Keltner play. He has a, it, it sounds simple, but goddamn, it's not. Um, and what he's doing on the bass drum alone, I, I, that's the stuff I learned from. You know, it's don't 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 be so typical. You know, it's just my god. But it's so that's that's the whole song. The rhythms are just so great on that. But that's five people. That's pretty cool. Well, it says, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth was George's second number one single in the U.S., what was knocking that? Paul's My Love out of the top spot. Nice, because that, that's Paul that is the most saccharine, isn't it? <laughs> and when the cupboard's bare... One more, one more, <laughs> one more interesting thing. <laughs> Ironically, it says, George would be replaced at number one the following week... By Ringo. By fellow Apple artist Billy Preston, wheeling oh, wow. around in circles. Wow! Yeah. Cool. Now, was was give me was peace on earth or give me love? Was that on all things must pass or no? It was on living in the material world. Oh, now where, where does that fall? Do you know where that falls in the chronology or the discography? It says I don't, it I don't. recorded in the fall of 1972. It was released May 7th, 1973. It, it's got to be the fall of all things was passed. I would all right, here, here it says, two years have passed since the success of the critically acclaimed triple album, All Things Must Passed. You are correct, sir. Yeah. George was ready to get back into the studio. He intended to work with Phil Spector again. Wow. Now, I, I think some of the some of the Phil Spector production and all things must pass. It is Phil Spector. That's a great record. There's so many rich songs on that. But it's, it's, sometimes it does seem cluttered to me. But well, I, I, I know, I know that that's the whole wall. The wall sounds sometimes. It's like, I don't know. When you listen to What is Life, you hear Phil Spector all over that. Absolutely. It's just yeah. so big. And, um, and, and yeah. well, what's the story? George has a song, I love you. Oh, what's it called? It's 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 a very R and B. It's a very Motown sound, but it sounds like Phil Spector. Mark, Mark, do you know that you know what I'm talking about? It's on the tip of my tongue. I'm trying to think. You, you know it. I love. Yeah. His, his voice is really high pitched, but it's got a great Motown background. But yes, I, I think that maybe that's the more things was passed too. Oh dang! Anywho, that was a side ramp, an off ramp well, me, nowhere. Let me, let me, let me send I some. Send, uh, I will send uh, one of these books. Down to you guys. Yeah. Well, Perry, first of all, you can come up and see me if you got a book because I, I got a nice porch now. We can sit and have a beer, so you better come up. <laughs> Screw I, you guys. I will be done. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, um, I want to just like what Perry's talking about, George, and just to bring up, I got to send one of you the Phil Collins book because he's got a whole thing with the Beatles. I mean, he was in he was he was in Hard Day's Night. Yeah. And he was in the scene, but they cut him because he said he, he honestly said, like, 
We got into the theater. We didn't know we were going to see the Beatles live. Then they walk out and they play. I wasn't going to jump up and down and scream. I'm a musician, so I'm watching them. So every <laughs> scene that I was in, I looked bored, but I was watching them. So they cut me out. But uh, wow. I, I don't. I you guys are better at telling stories than me. I want one of you guys to read the chapter on when he played on All Things Must Pass because it's it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, I, 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 read, I read that story. Yeah, it's like. But did you hear about the aftermath when it was re remixed and re released? Oh, <laughs> uh, 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 George called. Someone called him and said he's not on it or something, or something well, happened where. Uh, uh, did he get a call from a representative of George or something? Yeah, so you know he did the whole session and he said he played all day. It was hazy and he did what he could, but he was just playing the congas. And he said he overplayed because he's a young kid, you know, and he was like, <laughs> whatever. And he said the, the whole story about how the band just disappeared and said, oh, we're going to watch the Tottenham game. It was all bullshit. They just wanted him out of there. <laughs> so he went home and he bought All Things Must Pass thinking that he was going to be listed on it. Nope, he wasn't listed on it. He was like heartbroken. Yeah, the poor guy. But then years later, when, you know, when they reissued it years later, um, he met George and he said, you know, I was on the album, but no one has proof. And George, George couldn't remember, you know, so he was like, oh, I'll look into it or something. So like two weeks after he met George, he got a cassette in the mail. And he said it had a little like posted on it that said from George, it said, we found your recordings. So he put it in. He listened to the song and he was horrified. There's someone <laughs> overplaying the conga like like a, you know, totally overplaying. <laughs> and he was just for, for a whole week. He was like, I screwed up. I fucked up. Then he That's got a, a message from Ray Cooper, you know, Ray Cooper and said, oh, yeah, we're just busting on you. I re-recorded those parts. <laughs> oh, my God. They set him up. Oh, poor wow. guy, poor guy, oh, but yeah, yeah, you gotta read the book. <laughs> well, that, that, I, I hope he took the joke well. He did, he did. You know, one thing, like, that's what I love about Phil. He can give a joke and he can take a joke, so okay, <laughs> it's all he, good. He, 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 his whole public persona, like, I don't know anything. I don't know the inner Phil Collins, you know. A lot of his songs seem kind of bitter to me. We, we I was texting you, he seems like a bitter man. I hope he, he is. Not. You know, he, he's hurt. He's, he, he, I don't even think he ever found love. Like, he just, you know, he was looking for love. That's most of his lyrics. You know, he wasn't a prog guy. The prog stuff was he was just playing drums. And then when he started writing songs, it's all broken heart. And yeah. we've all got broken hearts, you know. <laughs> it's, a, it's a testament to his talent that he was quite good at being the prog guy. If that really wasn't what he wanted to do or wasn't yeah. his inner nature. Because you know, he's an R&B guy, you know. Yeah, I, I saw, absolutely. I saw, I saw a concert of him fronting a band. You know, they're all wearing black suits. They're, they're all like the men in black. It was a total... Motown R&B show, and I gotta say, I was completely impressed because his voice sounded great. The band was amazing. It was probably Leland Sklar on bass. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. it's the same thing when I saw Elton John a few years back, and on a fluke, I was flipping the channels. It was a a, a a reunion concert. It was Elton John and the original band with Davy Johnstone, um, um, Nigel Olson. I was like, I, uh -huh. my jaw was on the ground. I said, I'm not even a big fan. I respect. But I was just like, wow, these guys are amazing. This band was just totally on. It was just incredible. These guys, you know, they were, they were, it was untouchable. Really, literally, you they know, were untouchable. You know, it's funny about Davey John Johnson and uh, all those guys from Elton's original band is D. Mary. You look at, you look at um, uh, uh, David Bowie's, you know, he had the original band, the, the Spiders from Mars, and he shed them. He had to get rid of them because he was moving on. Yeah, Elton was able to do all this stuff with that band. Like they stayed with him. They they weren't on every album, but Davy Johnson's on. Even in the '80s, when he's doing that that pop stuff, there was Davy Johnson. He's a versatile player. He's great. Yeah. 
I, I, I have a guilty Elton John pleasure. Me too. Me, you know what? Before we started the podcast, I was listening to Elton because my new fascination are the late 70s Elton albums that bombed, like Blue Moves, <laughs> which is a great album. And, and I'm uh, listening uh, to them. I'm like, yeah. And uh, Rock of the Westies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Island girl. <laughs> Can I segue something in, guys? Yeah. Sure. sure. So this was a good segue, Lou. Uh, remember Ringo had an album in the mid-70s, 1975, called Goodnight Vienna? Yeah. There were there were uh, there was a song on there called Snookaroo, hmm. <laughs> written by Elton John and Bernie Taupin, huh. and Ringo pl- was sang it and played drums. Elton John played piano. Robbie Robertson played guitar. Wow. Hmm. Uh, Jim Keltner on drums, Klaus Vorman on bass. And someone named James Newton Howard played synthesizer and a whole bunch of backup singers. But Barry, you know who James Newton Howard is? I do not. Well, he's a big film. He, if you look up a lot of movie soundtracks, he's a big film score guy. But he was a member of Elton John's band for years. But you got to start with Elton. But yeah, he's huge in the industry. Yeah. Wow. Didn't know. So cool. I just thought that was interesting that you guys were talking about Elton John and uh, yeah, and well, on that very same record. Now, as far as Ringo goes, I've been hearing the song Back Off Boogaloo a lot. Yeah, I like Back that. Back Off. Now, you know what the term Boogaloo has uh, got a certain notoriety in the last few years for the racist connotations that it has. Yeah, yeah. Right? No. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, a, a Boogaloo. The Boogaloo I, Boys. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the Boogaloo Boys. Now, there, there's a brewery around here that a brewed a beer called uh, Boogaloo Stout, and the label had a Hawaiian shirt, which is one of the symbols, and if you look, I, I look, I looked up online. If you look, and in, in the lower corner, looks like a dark man on his knees. Oh boy! Yeah. So the the beer was quickly dropped by a very big national uh, national distributor. Wow. So it's kind of because I wonder, like, what the, the original term was a dance term. And I, I don't, I don't want Ringo because it's funny we're talking about Ringo, and I just happened to mention a song. I actually heard the song today, and the other day actually, um, it's got some great Ringo drumming on it too. And uh, but I, I said, wow, there's it's, we have something where something could mean something at one period of time, and then you know, a couple of decades later, it could mean a whole different thing. Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's when people co-opt a phrase to yes. for their movement. You know, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. So on the well, very same record, the, good music night. Polish gets gets we get social commentary here. Uh oh, <laughs> that's gonna get us in <laughs> trouble. Were, we went political. We went political. Sorry. Well, you don't want me to get political. <laughs> I, I want to mention one more one more song from the Good Night Vienna 1975 Ringo album. Cool. The No-No song. Oh, written yeah. by Hoyt Axton and David Jackson. David and who? David Jackson. David who? <laughs> so country singer Hoyt Axton, writer of Three Dogs Night Hit Joy to the World, was no stranger to cocaine addiction he teamed up with bassist and comedian david jackson to write this tongue-in-cheek anti-drug song mocking personal struggles but the the point i wanted to make was of course ringo plays drums and percussion and sings it harry nielsen does all the background vocals on it wow yeah and Nicky Hopkins, Hopkins plays electric piano. Jesse Ed Davis on guitar. The great, late great Jesse Ed, Jesse Ed Davis. Yeah. Klaus Vorman on bass, and Trevor Lawrence and Bobby Keys on horns. Wow. 
Yeah. Those, those are some amazing, I would call them, they're not A-list musicians because they were too cool in a lot of ways, you know, in some ways. But Jesse A. Davis and Nicky Hopkins alone, that's Mr. Rolling Stone. That's, that, that, that's pretty amazing. Um, it's kind of a novelty song, isn't it? It absolutely is a novelty song. Yeah. It's a tongue-in-cheek novelty song. Yep. Now, Hoyt Axton, um, in the Laurel, the book about Laurel Canyon, um, he was, he was, <laughs> this was something I read in the book. It said, he said, he was like a vampire, they said. He, if you look at the guy, he looks like this big old boy country, good old, you know, big old, you know, he's like, they, like a good old boy, what I'm trying to say, you know. But the fact that, you know, he, he caroused the hills of, uh, of Laurel Canyon, but he said, he, they, they, they described it as like a vampire, like, can you imagine me like oh, Hoyt Axe? I wrote Joy to the World. And, and this one, and a cat named Talon. Yeah. And he was in that movie with Robert Urich. It was called Not Altered, Altered Space. It was something species. And it was something like there was like cattle being altered with something. And the guy, Hoyt Axe's stomach split open. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. His he was also in Gremlins, if you remember, Lou, right? Yes, he was. Yes, yeah. he was. <laughs> And he was on, I, I think he did a, a TV show. It might have been something like, um, what was the one that the Doobie Brothers were on? What's happening? Oh, really? Yeah. Hi, hi, hi. Yeah. And, and <laughs> you, you know, actually, guys, I am sending Louis to Camp Michael McDonald this summer. To <laughs> <laughs> have an oatmeal cookie. It's <laughs> his favorite. Yeah. With soul. <laughs> And I just want to mention one more song, Lou. You mentioned this to me a couple of weeks you ago. Said you said that one song ago. <laughs> Cracker Box Palace. I love that song. Yeah. It I was from his song. album, 33 and a Third. Uh, recorded yeah. in 76, released in 77. Who played on it, Perry? Who played on it? Tell uh, me. Well. It's the same guys. Uh, it was George Harrison. Uh, George Harrison played vocals, guitar, synthesizer, and hand claps. <laughs> Willie Weeks played bass. From America. Oh. No, 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 wait. No, wait, no. He wasn't. That was Willie. Um, that was David Dickey. Willie Weeks, he was a session guy. Was he in the yeah. Utopia? I've heard that name before. You know, he may have been. Yeah. I, think he, I think he was in Utopia. Wow, okay. You might be right. Um, uh, Alvin Taylor played drums. I've never heard that name. Me neither. <laughs> All right. I like the drumming on it. It's very offbeat. Yeah, Cracker Box Palace is a good, it's a good uh, song. Yeah. That, that was, George had, although his albums in the 70s were considered weak, he had some great singles along the way. Uh, Cracker Box Palace, um, what's that one song? Blow Away. Blow All away. I got to do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Great songs. Now, Cracker, now, Cracker Box Palace, I sing these alternate lyrics. Welcome you to Cracker Ass Cracker. We were expecting you. Cracker Ass Cracker. Careful, no. careful, son. <laughs> Chris Rock. Chris Rock has a... The Cracker Ass Cracker. Take a, take a dumb pals. Break my foot off of your Cracker Ass. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that uh, that's, you know, that's about it for me, but... Um, yeah, so I had this book after Abbey Road, the solo hits of the Beatles, and it gives you a list of who played on what and all those kind of things. I find that very interesting. Yeah, so fascinating. You know, uh, Perry, while we were talking, I ordered the uh, Glenn's Johns book from Amazon, so it's coming. And uh, we'll all read it, and I'll pass it on. 
Yeah, I will. I will bring over to you the other books. I will send Lou the uh, the um, Pete Townsend book. Oh hell! Why don't we, Perry? Let's just drive it down to Lou. Come on. Yeah, do it, man. Come on. Uh, well, oddly enough, I've got the time. <laughs> yeah, but you got to take a dump, you know. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, just, wait, let's not say. let's not go into those things anymore on the air either. <laughs> Are we sure? Yeah, but I, every time I said it, I got cut off. So I just want to say it one time: take a dump. Five by five, Lou. Five by five. <laughs> Glad to have you back. Thanks. Yeah, I agree. And also, so, um, I, I've been deciding like the name for the studio. Um, now, you guys have been down here south. We have um, it's full of ladybugs. They're everywhere. I love everywhere. ladybugs. I do. I do too. Now, so do I. they bite. By the way, you may not think so, but ladybugs can bite. Anyway, I was thinking of calling this electric ladybugs, electric ladybug land. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. I copyrighted in case anyone wants to steal that. Um, it, it's either or a red ranch or red, red shed ranch recorders, but now that's hard to say when you when you've got a buzz on, you know. I was thinking yeah. something electric ladybug land. You could say that anytime. Well, I'd be looking forward to coming down there and recording a couple of songs. The studio, the studio is up actually. A few more tweaks. It's amazing how because I have no feng shui at all. I mean, I, it's it's terrible. I lived in clutter for 13 years, but the studio fell together like magic. I mean, I, I put things in. I'm like everything works out. There's room. I, I have I have a chair in here actually. But so when you guys come down, there'll be well, the, the drums are all set up. It's it's electric percussion land. Uh, there's room for guitars, keyboards, anything you want to record can be done here. That's right. great. Well, you know what? We're at, we're almost at 70 minutes, guys. So um, all right, I'll say good night to you, and uh, glad to hear from uh, you, Mark. And uh, you, Lou. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, you know what? I'm Perry Bolshevik, and I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> I'm, I'm Lou Caligula, and you know. And I'm Mark Biden, and I'm happy to say <laughs> good night. Can we end with some music? Would you like to? I would absolutely love to hear some music. Yeah. I would. Uh, give me a moment, okay? Okay. Hey, this is real, man. It takes a few seconds. It takes a few seconds. Live, live television. Without the picture. Talk amongst yourselves. Have a good night, Mark. You too, Perry. Talk to you soon. And I'll come by and see you down there. Of course, you have to. So we'll come back next time to this locality to have oh, yeah. my hospitality. <laughs> Good night. Good night, guys.